to it. So our message this morning is entitled uh, Revelation's World of Tomorrow. And before we begin, let's go ahead and bow our heads for another word of prayer. Father in heaven, Lord, we want to thank you so much for this day. Lord, we want to thank you for your holy word, which tells us, Lord, that there is a better world to come. Lord, we realize that this world is a mess and there is so much heartache and pain. But Lord, as we read in that scripture verse, Lord, that we can look forward to a new heavens and a new earth. Lord, bless us now as we learn about that from your holy word. Draw us close to you, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So what will heaven really be like? It seems like there's a lot of confusion about heaven these days. Um, One day, a variety of people were interviewed and asked what they thought heaven would be like. And here's what a few of them said. One of the teenagers said, Heaven, man, that's pie in the sky, out there somewhere. Unreal, man. I can't fathom it. A middle-aged woman out grocery shopping said this. She said, Heaven is a state of mind. It's an inner peace. It's a state of calm. A successful businessman said, Heaven is my house. You should see it. It's worth $3 million. My chariot is my Lexus and my kids, uh, my angels, uh, the angels are my kids. A college student said, heaven is, are you so out of touch that you still believe in those fairy tales? An elderly couple said this, we hope that heaven is a real place. The older we get, the more we long for it. We just hope that what we were taught in our childhood is true. So many people out there with so many different answers about what they think heaven will be like. Fortunately, friends, we don't have to depend on man's theories or on man's opinions to learn about heaven. Amen? We don't have to rely upon someone's uh, out-of-body experience or, or you know, experience that they had. We can just go to God's word. Amen? Because God's word is the rule of faith. It is the basis and the foundation of our faith. And it should be the foundation of all that we believe. Amen? Amen. I want to thank all my helpers that are passing out the handout for our message today. I hope that will be helpful to you as we go through this and as you decide to study this more after the message here today. Let's look at our first text here in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 19. The Bible says, And so we have the prophetic word confirmed which you do well to heed as a light that shines in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Friends, God has given his prophets a glimpse into the glories of heaven. So what does God's prophetic word say about heaven? Well, first it promises that the earth will be restored back to the beauty and perfection that it had back in the Garden of Eden. Look at what the Bible says in Revelation 21.1, our scripture reading, Now I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. So here the Bible talks about the new heaven and the new earth. It will be like Eden restored, Eden made new. Think about what the Garden of Eden was like. There were clear lakes, there was pure air, there was no pollution. There, were, there was uh, bright sunshine, there was perfect weather all the time, and the animals were friendly. It would have been a wonderful place. The trees were beautiful and bore delicious fruits. You would never eat a bad apple or an apple that had a worm in it or anything like that, friends. Flowers perfumed the air, and their beauty was indescribable. 
All of nature was in harmony and it was wonderful. The birds and the animals were not afraid of Adam and Eve. In fact, they, they flocked to them, they came to them, and they were able to be together. There was love and there was joy. There was true happiness. There was no taint of sickness, no disease, no suffering. But then the Bible says that an intruder came to that garden and he suggested to Eve that sin would bring her greater happiness than obedience. And Eve unfortunately fell for that lie of the devil and our planet was plunged into rebellion and sin. And the sad drama of sin broke the hearts of Adam and Eve and as they saw that first animal die, that first animal sacrifice, it broke their hearts. And they, they understood the true meaning of the phrase, the wages of sin is death, the Bible says. Their blood-stained hands and the slain sacrifice, it pointed forward to the cross and to Jesus' sacrifice for us and for our sins. Down through the centuries and in each each succeeding generation, the human race has been contaminated with sin. Sin multiplied rapidly, and as it did, men and women began to worship idols. Disobedience flourished in our world. And then we see in Genesis that God sent a flood, and the flood was a judgment, and it destroyed the entire world. We believe that it was a global flood. The Bible teaches that. Yet we see that God preserved people in the ark of safety. Noah and his family, and, and mankind was given another chance. And throughout the centuries after the flood, there has always been a royal line of faith. God has always had people that have held fast to him throughout this earth's history. There were men and women that faithfully kept their eyes fixed on another country. They believed that this world was not their home. They believed that there was something better than all the suffering, all the disease, and all the pain that we experience now. One of those men was by the name of Abraham. Abraham's eyes were fixed on eternity. He set his mind and his eyes on another world. Hebrews chapter 11 verse 10 says, For he, that is Abraham, waited for the city which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. Friends, I want to go to that city that God made. How about you? He looked forward to that city, and we can too, by God's grace. Then the royal line of faith continued to Moses. Moses was a captive slave in the land of Egypt, but he was, God blessed him, and he was destined to be the next Pharaoh of Egypt. But look at what the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 11, verses 24 to 26. It says, By faith, Moses, when he became of age, he refused to be called the sons of Pharaoh's daughter, and choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin. Friends, sin is just passing pleasure. It is temporary. It is short-lived. The devil wants to make it seem so enticing and so appealing, but friends, it is, it is so temporary and so short-lived. It leaves men and women broken and bruised. Moses chose not to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin for a season. Instead, he esteemed the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt. For he looked for what? He looked for the reward. He looked to the reward of heaven. He looked to the reward of being with his creator, God. The passage continues here in verses 13 and 14. Speaking of these faithful men and women of God, it says, These all died 
in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, were assured of them and embraced them and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. For those who say such things declare plainly that they seek a homeland. We, like that royal line of faith, can embrace the promise, friends. We can cherish the promises of God. When down seems up and up seems down, when your head is spinning, when the bills are mounting up, when your life is seemingly falling apart, we can hold on to the promises of God. Amen? Amen. This world is not our home. We're just passing on through, friends. This is temporary. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 16 says, But now they desire a better, that is, a heavenly country. Friends, there is something beyond this life. We are simply pilgrims and strangers, and we must keep eternity in view each and every day. The devil wants to get us focused on the here and now, the temporary, but God wants to get our mind fixed on things above, on eternity. Friends, this gives us confidence that heaven is on its way. When a terrorist bomb explodes and you see it there in the news it's, and people have been badly hurt and killed, when we see bloodied arms and legs splattered all on the pavement, friends, you know that this world is not your home. When you, when you visit a cancer ward in, in the hospital and you see a seven-year-old boy dying of leukemia, you know that this world is not your home. When you see friends and loved ones, people that you grew up with doing drugs and ruining their lives, you know that this world is not your home. When you see a young couple whose baby was born dead, you cry with them and you realize in your heart that this world is not your home. When you see a spouse cheat on their partner of 25 years and they go through a painful divorce and it rips the family apart, you know that this world is not your home. When you see the devastating images of the tsunamis uh, that have destroyed entire towns and villages, when you see fires and hurricanes and tornadoes that rip through towns, you know that this world is not your home. When you see news reports of starving children in third world countries, you know that this world is not your home. With Christ, you are a citizen of a better place. Amen? You are just a pilgrim here. This world, this place is just temporary. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 16 says, Therefore God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for who? For them, for his people. So this city that God has prepared for us is beyond our wildest imaginations, friends. Heaven is a real place indeed. It's not some make-believe, pie-in-the-sky idea. The story is told of a man by the name of Marco Polo. He was an Italian explorer who returned after uh, he was in China for 21 years, and he returned back to his home and his friends had thought that he had gone crazy. He had such wild stories to tell them. He said that he traveled to a city that was full of gold and silver, that he had seen black stones that burned. They had never heard of coal. He'd seen a cloth that refused to catch on fire even when it was thrown into the flames. And they had never heard of asbestos. He talked about huge serpents that were 10 paces long with jaws wide enough to swallow a man. They had never seen a crocodile. 
He told of nuts the size of a man's hand, and they had never seen coconuts. The people just laughed at the stories that Marco Polo had to tell because they seemed so wild to them. And years later, when Marco Polo was on his deathbed, there was a devout Christian man there at his bedside, and he urged Marco Polo to confess all of the lies that he had told about all that he had saw. But Marco Polo refused. And he said, it's all true, every bit of it. In fact, the half has not been told. Friends, words are not adequate to express the beauties of heaven and the beauties of the new earth. As Marco Polo said, the half has not been told. Paul wrote this in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9. It says, But as it is written, I has not seen nor ear heard, nor have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. Imagine the most fantastic painting by the most renowned artist in the world. Friends, heaven is more beautiful yet. Imagine the most glorious symphony with the most fantastic orchestra but heaven's music will be even greater than that. Imagine feeling warm and love and secure, yet heaven's love is greater yet. Imagine the deepest joy that you could possibly have in this life, yet heaven's joy is greater yet. Imagine a heart that is at peace and rest. Heaven's calm and peace and rest will be even greater than that. Imagine the most wonderful fellowship that you can have here on this planet, the most open sharing, the most honest communication with friends. Friends, God's communication in heaven with us and with those that we love will be even better yet, even deeper. Revelation gives us a description of the holy city that is absolutely breathtaking. John wrote this in Revelation 21:2. Then I, John, saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. So friends, who prepared the city? God prepared the city, and he prepared it for you and for me. Why does the Bible say that it's prepared as a bride adorned for her husband? Well, friends, God wants you to know that he is preparing something special for you, something more amazing than you can imagine. As a groom watches his bride come down the aisle, his heart thrills with the light. Even so, Christ's own heart thrills with the light as he thinks about being with you and with me for all of eternity. It's what he wants, friends. It's what he desires above all things. He desires to be with us in a world made new. It's interesting that Revelation uses a wedding atmosphere. It's festive, it's filled with joy, and it's filled with happiness. As the holy city descends to an earth made new, it's the most festive event in the universe. The Bible describes the glories of the holy city in this way. Revelation 21, 14, the Bible says, Now the wall of the city had 12 foundations, and on them were the names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. Who were the 12 apostles? Well, one was Thomas, and what did he do? He doubted, right? What about Peter? Peter denied Christ. James and John, they were called the sons of thunder. The disciples were common, ordinary people like you and like me. They had their doubts, they had their, their fears, they had their faults and their weaknesses, just like we do. Yet their names are on the foundation of the new Jerusalem. 
But why? Well, friends, I believe it's because God is saying to us, if they can make it, we can make it too. If they can go in, friends, you can go in to that city as well. Heaven is not a place for just a few super spiritual elite people. It's a place for common sinners who are redeemed by the blood of Christ. Amen? The Bible continues to describe this city. In Revelation 21, 16, the Bible says the city is laid out as a square. Its length is as great as its breadth, and there are four sides. So here we see that there are, there are four sides to this. There, a square has four sides, right? So each side has three gates. There are three on the north, three on the south, three on the east, and three on the west. Most cities in the ancient world had very few gates. And why would that be? They didn't want... Yeah, they didn't want the enemies to, to come in, right? They wanted the enemies to stay out. But heaven's goal is to get as many people in as possible, friends. They come from the north, they come from the south, from the east, and from the west. People of every ethnicity will come into the new Jerusalem. Amen? All sinners, all redeemed sinners will come into that city. God is saying, whoever you are, you can make it in through one of those gates. Revelation 21, 16 continues. It says, And he measured the city with the reed, 12,000 furlongs. Its length, breadth, and height are equal. So this, the, the square, this square city is about 1,500 miles in circumference, 375 miles on each side. This is a large city, friends. One mathematician estimated that the New Jerusalem could house 2 billion people just on the ground floor. If we use magnificent multi-story buildings, the possibilities are endless. Friends, in other words, there will be plenty of room in heaven for you. Amen? Amen. And for your loved ones that we reach out to and pray for. Amen? Amen. 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 Jesus said in John chapter 14, verses 1 to 3, He said, Let not your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house, are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will do what? I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. What Jesus promised will certainly come true, friends. In his Father's house are many mansions, and he has a place prepared for you and for me. The city itself will be about at least the size of the state of Colorado, based on the dimensions we're given. The book of Revelation describes the holy city as being absolutely magnificent. Revelation 21, verse 21, the Bible says the 12 gates were 12 pearls. Each individual gate was of one pearl. And the street of the city was pure gold, like transparent glass. Friends, God is so rich, he owns everything, doesn't he? He's so rich that he paves the streets of heaven with pure gold. And we fight over it here on this earth, don't we? We tend to fight over things like that, these material possessions. We may not have much down here on this earth, friends, but God has something incredible in store for us in the new Jerusalem. So why is this city so beautiful? Why is it so lavish? Why does God use the most precious and most expensive jewels for the foundations of the 12 cities? Well, friends, the city is so valuable because you are so valuable to God. The city contains so much wealth because you are precious 
to the God of heaven. God uses precious stones to tell us how precious we are. If a city like that existed anywhere on this planet, what would happen? Everybody would be selling their homes and they would be trying to move to this city, right? They would do it at almost any cost to get in there. But here's the good news, friends, is that soon this new city will descend and it will be the capital of this new earth. The Bible says that the tabernacle of God will be with men. And as it descends toward the earth, fire flashes down from heaven to destroy the wicked and it purifies the earth. The surface of the earth will become like a lake of fire, the Bible says, and all the reminders of this sin-scarred world will be swept away. But after the flames, Revelation tells us that a new heaven and a new earth will appear. The new Jerusalem settles down on a brand new planet, and this new world bursts with life just like the Garden of Eden did in the beginning. Its river of life flows as crystal clear. Its tree of life has an abundance of fruit. It's something that we can all look forward to. Amen? Amen. The prophet Isaiah gives us a glimpse of this in Isaiah 35 verse 1. It says, The wilderness and the wasteland shall be glad for them, and the desert shall rejoice and blossom as the rose. Friends, there will be songs of rejoicing in heaven. Amen? Songs of gladness that we have made it, that we have been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. The earth will be made new just like it was in the Garden of Eden. The scenery will be fantastic. The beauty will be unimaginable. Imagine drinking water from the river of life. Imagine eating fruit from the tree of life. It will be wonderful, friends. It will be wonderful. Imagine living in an atmosphere of incredible love. But have you ever wondered when we get to heaven, what kind of bodies will we have in Eden restored? What will be our physical condition on this new earth? Some people have this uh, strange idea that the redeemed are just spirit beings, but that doesn't make much sense and it's not according to scripture. Let's see what the Bible says, friends. Philippians chapter 3, verse 20 and 21, the Bible says, for our citizenship is where? Friends, did you know that you have dual citizenship? You may be a citizen of this country or another country, but you are also a citizen of the heavenly kingdom. Amen? Amen. So we need to act like good citizens. Amen? Amen. We need to start getting accustomed to the the rules and the customs of heaven. It continues, it says, For our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body, that it may be conformed to his glorious body, according to the working by which he is able even to subdue all things to himself. When Jesus resurrected, what kind of body did he have? He had a glorious resurrected body, right? It was an immortal body. No longer was he subject to death. There are a number of experiences that Jesus had after his resurrection that reveal that he had a real recognizable body. When Jesus met the disciples on the road to Emmaus, He had a wonderful Bible study with them, didn't he? But they didn't know who he was at the time. And Jesus kept them from recognizing him at at that moment because he had a lesson he wanted to teach them. But it says that when he broke bread, their eyes were opened and they recognized Jesus. They recognized him by his unique mannerisms. Friends, I believe that in heaven, your friends and your family will recognize you by your unique mannerisms. On resurrection morning, Mary recognized Jesus 
only when Jesus called her by name. Through the mist of the morning, she could not see him clearly, but she recognized the voice of her Savior. Friends, I believe your loved ones will be able to recognize you by the intonation of your voice. When Jesus appeared to the disciples in the upper room, they recognized him immediately. They knew his physical form. And I, I believe, friends, that when we get to heaven, your friends and your family will recognize you by your physical appearance. But the good news is, is that we will have beautiful, sin-free bodies. Amen? Amen. In the new heavens and the new earth, God will give us a glorious, immortal body. But you will have a, a, a similar personality to the one that you have right now. Because God wants to save you. You see, if, if God sent Christ to die for you, it's you that he wants. And you're the only you that is possible to God. Sure, he could create someone that looks like you, but it wouldn't be you. Wouldn't it be strange if Christ paid the infinite price to die for you and for me, and then he totally changed our personalities and our physical appearance that make us unique in order to take us to heaven? Friends, it is your love that God desires. It's your personality that he wants. So friends, I believe that when we get to heaven, we will recognize our loved ones by their unique mannerisms, their voice intonations, and their individual personalities. But there will be no taint of sin. There will be no more diseases that are afflicting us. Here is God's promise for us. Isaiah 33, 24. It says, And the inhabitant will say, the inhabitant will not say, I am sick. Amen? Amen. No more sickness, no more flu seasons, no more vaccines, no more any of this kind of stuff. The inhabitant will not say, I am sick. The people who dwell in it will be forgiven their iniquity. Amen? Isaiah 35, 5 and 6 says, Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened, and the ear of the deaf shall be unstopped. Friends, if you have hearing problems on this earth, you will not have hearing problems in heaven. Amen? Amen. Then the lame shall leap like a deer. Amen? And the tongue of the dumb will sing. Friends, God will open up the mouths of people unable to speak at this time. Their tongue will be loose so that they can sing songs of praise to their creator God. Amen? Think of the joy that will be. Wheelchairs will be gone. Crutches will be gone. There will be new life flowing through our veins. There will be joy and happiness everywhere. Friends, I believe we need to hear about heaven and the new earth over and over again because we tend to forget about it, don't we? In the busyness of life, we tend to forget that God has something much better in store for us. We tend to get bogged down in the here and now, absorbed in the moment. But God says, come and look at another time and another place. Look at another world to help get your perspective back in order. Revelation chapter 21, verse 4, the Bible says, And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. No more calls at 1 a.m. in the morning saying that your child was in a car accident. No more calls that your best friend died of a heart attack. No more calls that your mother is wasting away from cancer. It will all be gone. The Bible says that there shall be no more pain. Amen? You will not have to take another pain medicine prescription ever again. Amen? No more Tylenol, no more ibuprofen, no more, you won't even need natural remedies, amen? Because 
we will have no more pain. It will be wonderful. The former things will be passed away. The Bible says they will be gone. They will be finished. Friends, it will be a perfect place. Revelation 20, 22 verse 1, the Bible says, And he showed me a pure river of water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding from the throne of God and of the Lamb. Friends, the water of life represents a life that's, that, that God gives to satisfy every need that we have. Just as nothing quenches your thirst like water, nothing quenches the inner need for God like God himself. He's the only one that can fill that void in our hearts. Amen? Amen. Nothing quenches our spiritual need like God. No matter how much you are appreciated today in the here and now, you long for more appreciation, don't you? No matter how much you are valued today, you long to be valued even more. No matter how much you are cherished today, you long to be cherished even more. No husband can love his wife enough. Cherish his wife enough. It's impossible. No wife can love and cherish her husband enough. There's always something inside of us that longs for more. And friends, that's the way we were created. That's the way that we were made. It's to be loved by a God that loves us infinitely. Amen? The only time this love deficit will ever be fully, completely filled is as we drink of the water of life and are totally satisfied in God's love. Revelation 22, verse 2 says, In the middle of its street and on either side of the river was the tree of life, which bore twelve fruits, each tree yielding its fruit every month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. Friends, as we eat from the tree of life, we will be fully and completely made whole. Every bit of mental scarring that we have because of being in a dysfunctional world will be all gone. Amen? All of that will be healed by our great God that heals. All the love that we failed to receive now, we will receive then from Jesus. We will be loved by God. We will be cherished by him. We will be embraced by God. And we will be satisfied with him. Amen? God will be the source of our inner strength up there because he has been the source of our inner strength down here. Amen? We need to make him our strength in the here and now. Isaiah 40, verse 31 says, But those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. Friends, is it sometimes hard to wait on the Lord? But is it worth it? Absolutely, it is worth it. It is always worth it. Those that wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Friends, sometimes you feel tired here on this old earth, don't you? I know that I do. Sometimes we lack energy and we get tired. Sometimes you feel weary here, but there God is going to give you an injection of divine energy and you will be like the energizer bunny, friends. You will have energy and you will not be tired. God is going to hook you up to the divine energy machine and that is the tree of life. Amen? Something that I'm looking forward to is I really enjoy smoothies. Does anybody like smoothies? I think that when we get to heaven, God will maybe somehow make a way that we can still have smoothies. And uh, I look forward to having fruit from the tree of life that I can blend into a smoothie. That's just me. I, I think it would be wonderful. If, if, if it's not that way, it'll be even better. Amen? <laughs> look at how Isaiah the prophet describes life on this new earth. In Isaiah chapter 60, verse 18, it says, Violence shall no longer be heard in your land. 
Amen? Amen. No more violence, no more turning on the news and finding out that so-and-so got shot and so-and-so was murdered and so-and-so was beat up and school shootings, terrorist attacks. No more. Violence shall no longer be heard in your land, neither wasting nor destruction within your borders. Violence and war will be gone. There will be no more strife between nations. Conflict will be over. It continues, it says, But you shall call your walls salvation, and your gates praise. Friends, in heaven you will hear the sound of praise, the sound of joyful praise from, from house to house, as you hear people singing and praising and glorifying God, the sound of gladness. Isaiah chapter 11, verse 9 says, They shall not hurt nor destroy in all my holy mountain, for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord, as the waters cover the sea. Friends, you won't get hurt in the new Jerusalem, amen? You will not get hurt up in heaven. You won't have to worry about the animals hurting you or anyone else. Every threat of war will be gone. Peace will fill the earth, for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord. Songs of praise and gladness will cover the earth. Isaiah 65, 17 says, For behold, I create, a new, create new heavens and a new earth, and the former shall not be remembered or come to mind. Friends, I'm glad that there are some things about this life that we will not remember anymore. Amen? We can forget about all those bad things that have happened to us in this life. Things that have haunted us for many years. Isaiah 65, 21 and 22 says, They shall build houses and inhabit them. They shall plant vineyards and eat their fruits. Friends, the best architects of the ages will be there. They will draw plans for your dream house at no charge. Amen? Amen. All the most outstanding building materials will be there at your disposal. And it says, they shall not build and another inhabit. They shall not plant and another eat. Amen? For those of you that like gardens, do you like it when you plant something and some, some other critter comes along and eats it? No, probably not. So you can look forward to heaven where you can plant and you will get to eat it. And you can share it with whomever you wish. For as the days of a tree, so shall be the days of my people. And my elect shall, enjo shall long enjoy the works of their hands. Friends, we will have meaningful work to do up there in heaven and on the new earth. Amen. What about fellowship with friends and with family? One, I believe one of the greatest joys of heaven will be to have that true fellowship with other believers and with our families and with our new family. Amen? Our new heavenly family. Heaven would be a, bo a boring place if nobody was there to enjoy it with. Matthew chapter 8, verse 11, the Bible says, And I say to you that many will come from the east and the west and sit down with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. Friends, imagine meeting some of the greatest Bible heroes of old. Imagine meeting Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and sitting down and having a conversation with them, talking about what it was like when Abraham was following the commands of God and as he was raising up his hand to, to slay his only son, seeing the, the ram there and, and hearing the voice of God. Friends, imagine what it would be like to meet Moses and hear about how, he, how God used him to lead the children of Israel out of the land of Egypt and what that was like. Imagine meeting Daniel and talking to him about what it was like to trust God when he was there in the lion's den. Friends, heaven will be a real place of fellowship. 
fellowship with the angels, fellowship with the great minds of the Bible, and men and women from all ages. It's a place to fellowship with Peter, James, and John, and Paul and the other apostles. But most of all, friends, heaven is a place to fellowship with Jesus. Amen? Because one day you and I will meet the one who died for us. The one who had nails driven through his hands and through his feet. The one who had a crown of thorns placed upon his head. The one who shed his blood for us. One day as we enter into that city, I believe Jesus will be there to welcome us. And he'll say, welcome home. Welcome home. I'm so glad you're here. This is your new home. You'll never have heartache again. The Bible says in Isaiah 66, 23, it says, From one Sabbath to another, all flesh shall come to worship me, worship before me, says the Lord. They'll come from the north, they'll come from the south, from the east, and from the west. They will come to fellowship with him on the Bible Sabbath. So we might as well start keeping the Bible Sabbath now. Amen? Amen. And sharing that wonderful message uh, with others. Revelation 21, verse 3, the Bible says, And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men. The new capital will be with men. Amen? God himself will be with his people, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God. They shall see his face, the Bible says, and his name shall be on their foreheads. Isn't that amazing, friends? One day you will meet your Savior face to face. Like the song we sing, face to face will I behold him. Oof, I cannot wait, friends. It will be wonderful. One day when you are leaving the heavenly temple, I believe Jesus will reach out his hands to you and say, I would like to take a walk with you. I would like to take a walk with you, and I want to show you the beautiful new world that I have made for you. Friends, I believe God will have the time to do it. Amen? We will have the time. We will have all the time in eternity to spend time with Jesus. I'm sure we all will be able to get many walks with our Savior. Amen? And I believe he'll put his hand on our shoulder as we're walking and say, you know something? I don't have anybody else like you. None of the angels are like you. None of the millions of the redeemed are like you. I don't have anybody like you. You are special. You are unique. You are so valuable to me. If you were lost, I couldn't replace you. And that's true, friends. It's so true. He feels that way about you and about me. Christ came to this earth and he poured out all of heaven for us. He poured out all of heaven's best for you. He hung on the cross for you. Jesus will create a new heavens and a new earth. It is a promise for us, friends. He will make this, this earth over again, and it will be perfect just like it was in Eden. He'll give you a new body, no more pain. He has wonderful plans for each of us. God's plans are far more amazing than we could ever imagine. They're more exciting than we could even dream of. And friends, I don't want to miss it. And I don't want you to miss it either. God wants us all to be there. It would be absolute foolishness to miss out on eternity. To turn your back on it all would be complete foolishness. Friends, one day soon, Jesus will come. One day, you and I will be going home. Going home where we belong, to our heavenly kingdom. Friends, how many of you want to be ready for that great day when Jesus comes again? Amen. Amen. May God help us to keep our eyes fixed on him that we may be ready and waiting when he comes. Let's pray together as we close. Father in heaven, 
Lord, wow, we look forward to the new heavens and the new earth so much. Lord, we look forward to having new glorious immortal bodies that have no more pain, no more heartache. It will be wonderful. Father, we look forward to not having to shed any more tears over losing a loved one or a friend. Lord, we look forward to being reunited, Lord, with our family and our friends. And Lord, most importantly, we look forward to being with you for all of eternity. Lord, we pray that you would prepare us for that great day when you come. Lord, help us to be ready. Lord, help us to behold you each and every day. And, And Father, as we behold you, that you would change us from the inside out. Lord, that you would help us to reflect your character of love to this world that is in such darkness. Lord, we pray that you would prepare us for that great day. Lord, we love you. We look forward to it. And we pray, Lord, that you would use even us to help others to choose to follow you and go all the way with you, Lord. That is our prayer and our desire. And we ask and pray this all in Jesus' name. Let everyone say, amen.